You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Here is your host, Matt Pointing. From the moment he picked up a ball in the front yard of the family home in Colleton, Craig Gower's passion for rugby league was ignited. Growing up in the game's heartland in Western Sydney, he rose through the ranks of club and schoolboy football on the way to a first grade debut for Penrith at the age of 18. Origin and test selection and individual accolades soon followed, part of a rapid climb that culminated in the ultimate prize captaining his beloved Panthers to a premiership in 2003. But it was a career not without controversy, and some harsh criticism has been levelled at Craig over the years. His response was to put his head down and just work harder, driven by a fierce competitiveness and will to win that he developed as a young boy. Today, Craig says the adversity he faced during a career that spanned 18 years prepared him for the challenges that would come after it. Craig Gower is our guest on this episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Craig Gower, thanks for joining us on the Passion and Perspective podcast. Hi, Matty. Thanks for having me. Going to start off with your early life, Craig, in, in Penrith and uh, growing up in the late 1980s and early 90s around Penrith, it must have been a pretty good time for a footy mad kid. Can you share a little bit about that time? Yeah, obviously, um, I was in the Colton area for uh, till I was about four or five, and then moved to Warrington County. Uh, went to Warrington County School, and uh, obviously, just you know, started playing footy at, at Colton when I was uh, five years of age. And um, yeah, sort of, you know, we always used to play footy in in the front yard with all the all the kids in the street, and you know, a, a lot different to these days where where no sort of kid goes out the front yard. You know what I mean? So, but. Um, yeah, I you know come from a sort of middle class sort of family, you know. But mum and dad, you know, worked worked their bums off for us, and used to take us to training and and all the rest of it. I had two brothers, and um, it's quite um, just a normal upbringing, I suppose. And uh, the success of the Panthers at that time. Were you a Panthers fan growing up as a kid? I imagine you probably were. Oh, I, 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 I that were, were when I was younger. I'd sort of. Um, not younger, but I, I loved uh, Bradley Clyde back in the day. Just the the way he played the game, you know, he was always back to him the first hit up, and obviously Canberra had a very strong team at that time. But you know, obviously Penrith were, were were part and parcel there, and you know, with Greg Alexander and so forth, and um, you know, obviously watching Greg as a halfback, you know, he's uh, he you know he's certainly one to look up to. Was rugby league always a part of? Uh, your family, you've got Italian heritage, as we know, from your rugby union time. Yep. Were there yep. any other sporting influences in your life as a kid? Nah, 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 not at all. Not at all. It was just all, it was all league. It was just all one thing. Um, obviously, it just, uh, I didn't really do athletics or anything like that uh, in the summer and, uh, you know, just did school sport and all the rest of it. And, um, but league was just the main focus. I was just, I always had a footy in my hands and, and um, you know, we used to play all the time, as I said, in the front yard and then obviously at Colleton where I where I played all of my junior football and I don't know if it was like I wanted to play, you know, professionally. It was just that that's what I was drawn to and that's where the passion and desire lied. Was school a major part of that for you? Was that did that form you as a player in, in school or was it more the club footy on the weekend? 
obviously there was representative football, um, and that was sort of big back in those days. You know, obviously representing your district and Met West and New South Wales and, and the rest of it. And um, you know, I got to do that from a very young age, at uh, twelve years of age, and. Yeah, so that was, uh, I was, uh, I don't take it wrong, it was, it was, it was important, but, uh, you know, effectively, um, you know, my sort of career was sort of based through my, my father because he was, he was my coach from, you know, when I was seven years of age. So, um, and he coached me, you know, all my life and, you know, even through into, um, you know, when I was 15, 16 years of age, he was, he was always there. And I think he was the, the you know, the dominant factor of, I wouldn't say pushing me, but obviously just, um, you know, moulding me as a player. And He didn't play at a top level, but, he, he, you know, he played a fair level and, you know, he, he knew the game. He, he, uh, he also studied a lot and, you know, he was, did his level two coaching, did a lot of coaching. He coached um, uh, Harold Matthews, SG Ball for Penrith. And so he had a really, really good understanding of, of the game. I was going to ask you about people and influences in your life. And I suppose your father would be the, the main one, the biggest influence mm. in your life as a kid. Were there any other yeah. people that influenced you growing up as, a, as both a, a young man, but also yeah. as a footballer? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My mother was a big part of that too, because she was, you know, she was taking me to training. So of course she actually even coached my, my younger brother. So um, she was, she was always the voice on the sideline. You could hear from a mile away, you know? So, um, but uh, both both parents were, were a crucial role in sacrificing what they sacrificed to, to get me to training all the time and all the rest of it with whatever whatever place I needed to go to for, for um, recovery or whatever. And um, you know they were a big part. You know, you know Jimmy Jones was a big part of of, of my career. He was a, a selector at Penrith, and um, you know, I got a good relationship with Jim. He signed me from my first contract and. Uh, you know, Royce Simmons was a big part as well. He gave me my, my opportunity to uh, play first grade and, um, you know, good friends with Royce to, to this day. And, you know, he's, he's you know, a very good coach and a very good bloke. It's obviously you came from a, a really footy mad family. It's something that you might not be able to answer, but it's just something that I'm curious about. When you've come from a family that is so footy crazy, does that, do you think that changes how you accept the big time? No, I don't think so. I think it's just, I think every, every individual is different. You know, they, they play for different reasons or, you know, I just, I just love playing. I just love winning. I think that the big factor for that is like when, when I was playing from under, I think it was under sevens to under 15s, you know, I think we suffered about three losses the whole time, you know? So that, that was, a, that was a big, um, a big thing for us, you know, we're winning every, every year we weren't getting beat. And that was just that desire to, um, and I think that sort of that sort of moulded like who I was. But uh, when you're young, you just want to go out and play. And that's that's what it was. I, I just loved playing. I loved enjoyment. I loved scoring tries. I loved you know just being in in, in that competitive nature. And you know when you sort of get to first grade, it's you're there just because you 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 want to play first grade. It's not about for me. It wasn't about money or fame or any of that stuff. It's just that you want to play against the best players and you want to. Um, uh, you, know, you know, you know, I want to represent your family as, as best you can, and hopefully, I, I tried to do that. Going to come back to that in in just a moment, but the Colleton Club is a is a strong one. You had the Lydiards go through there yourself, Craig Trindle. Were there guys that you were playing with where you thought these guys are going to make it really big? Um, well, we had, we had a really good team, so we had a number of players that, that could have played first grade. And sometimes you just see guys that I had a friend that was you know was a very good player and. 
you know, he went to a party. They got in a fight and he got, got his jaw broken. And then that was sort of the demise of him, you know. So, mm. there's, so there's, there's things out there that, you know, there's choices that you make and they really affect you affect you where you want to go you know i've seen plenty of guys that have got so much ability but they just uh, they get caught in the wrong crowd or they uh, they make a wrong choice and then that's the end of them and it's it's sort of it's sad to see and um, i suppose that's where for myself having that focus and and that desire to obviously not try and go down those paths and just try and um be a bit uh, narrow focused but sort of i think it helped me a lot I'm going to take you back to 1992 in June, a very infamous incident that rocked the Penrith district, the death of Ben Alexander in a car accident in Colton. Do you remember that time? Do you remember how much that affected the community and, and do you remember the impact on you? Yeah, obviously for me, I was, I was pretty young. So that, that effect, you know, was of shock. Um, you know, I didn't know the Alexander family at that time or, you know, any of the guys that sort of knew those guys. But, I, you know, obviously I know Greg now very well and, you know, the effect that that had on him and his family and, uh, you know, obviously the guys that were, were in the car and, and the rest of it. It certainly affected that team um, and how Ben was sort of viewed in that team because he was a, he was a class player and um, he, he would have played for a, a very long time and I probably would have got to play with him if, if that, um, that incident didn't happen. So uh, it certainly was, um, you know, it certainly rocked everyone. That's actually part of why I asked that question because only four years later you came into the Panthers side as an 18-year-old as a half do you feel like the sort of recent history of the club when you came to join Penrith added extra pressure extra weight to to what you were feeling starting out as a player uh no I don't think so I, I didn't feel that that pressure or anything like that I just wanted to go out there and play and, and prove myself that I could play at that level I didn't really look at it like that I just looked at it as a positive where you know my dreams are coming true where you know I was accomplishing a goal but you know, when you when you accomplish something, it doesn't mean you've you've made it. You know, you've got to get there and, and prove yourself, and and that was the the, uh, the driving factor to to try and get better and better. And and um, you know, obviously, when you're thinking like that, you know, there's there's no limits. Was there a moment where you thought, "I'm going to make it. I've got to give this a real crack." Not really. The thing is, is that I was just coming through. You know, playing each year. And then obviously trying to get better and better. And um, obviously I, I started playing uh, representative football when I was 14. So I went, I was playing a year above myself in, in Harold Matthews. And I played Harold Matthews at 15, SG Ball 16, playing a year above myself, 17s. And then, so I was progressing quite well. Um, so, you know, the end goal was there, but at the end of the day, I just wanted to keep playing and, and getting better. And, and effectively, I just, I progressed to, to where, I, where I got to pretty quickly. And um, sometimes guys are just ready to play that at that age. And obviously now with these days, there's age restrictions and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, if you're ready, you're ready. And it's, it's as simple as that. So there was no sort of regrets or, you know, anything else in front of me. I just, I just wanted to keep, get, keep getting better and get, get to that goal as quick as I could. And what sort of goals were you setting at that time? Was it was it just first grade or was it? Yeah, no. Effectively, each year I was just I wanted to play whatever representative football I could play and try and play to the high level. And then I actually played under twenty ones when I was sixteen. Um, and then the league sort of they they put they put a squash on that because they thought I was too young. And 
So then I went back and just sort of played a local A grade and I was playing at C grade, under 17s actually. Under 17s, I was playing reserve grade, A grade on the same day. And, um, effectively, that, that sort of moulded me because you're playing against rural, rural men and, and, and that's where you start to get, you, you get a bit of, uh, you see huge growth, I think, because you're playing against, you know, the guys that are well-developed and all the rest of it and you know exactly where you sort of stand. So um, those goals were just continually to try and get better each year and, and um, the main goal was obviously playing first grade and when I was sort of 17, I thought that was a real... And I was playing. I played sort of 21s in reserve grade. I thought that was a real, real case that I, you know, I'll, I'll crack it shortly. And effectively, I got the opportunity through Royce, and that was it. I'm just going to jump back to something you said earlier about um, some of the people you played footy with as a as a younger player and the challenges that they faced, and sometimes they'd make some bad decisions. Can you share a little bit about challenges that you faced? Did you ever find that there were moments where it was a challenging thing for you to stay focused on those goals that you'd set? Not, 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 not really. Obviously, um, you know, there's, there's always different challenges, you know, that you, that you sort of face, you know, obviously injuries or doing the wrong thing or whatever it is, you know. Like, so there's, there's you know, I've had those challenges and, I've, I've, you know, you accept those challenges, you know, obviously... I did the wrong. I did the wrong thing. Played the wrong price, and obviously, then that's something that you have to deal with mentally because it's you know you obviously you let yourself down, you let your family down, you let other you know your club down, um, and that's part of your growth as well. You know, so it's it doesn't. Anytime you make a mistake or whatever, you try. Even though it's a negative in your life, you try and turn it into a positive and try and get better. And and um, and obviously how. That sort of helps you is, is what you do on the football field because if you start you know playing well and winning games and stuff, um, that's where people that's what you want people talking about, not not what you've done or all all the rest of it. I'm not going to go into those things because I think that they've they've been pretty well publicised in the past. But after your debut year, only only three four years afterwards, you were getting accolades like Origin selection, Test selection, uh, World Cup team, Dalian Hooker of the Year in 2000. Uh, the captaincy and new contracts. So it's all coming pretty thick and fast early in your career. Looking back and reflecting on that time, do you think you knew how to handle those things as a footballer? Uh, I, I don't think I, you know, if I went back in time, oh, there's certainly, there's so much I would, I, I would I'd do differently. Uh, but then I, I had a good time. Like it was just one of those things where I was just taking it as it, as it came. And um Right or wrong, you know, making the right decision or wrong decision. But you know, obviously playing, um, you know, state origin when I was nineteen and Australia and all the rest of it. Those accomplishments they they mean everything to you. Um, I suppose the biggest thing is when you're old. When I'm older now, I'm thinking how how big that 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 actually is is um, it's massive, you know. But I, I think I I maybe sort of just let it go by without sort of really reflecting on what sort of achievement it actually was. So like anyone, mate, there's always, uh, there's always regrets of, or things that you should have done better or, you know, things that you should have cleared up or whatever, whatever it is. And, um, you know, that, that's part of life as well. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday.
when you look at players now and you see some of the mistakes that are being made by players and, and the, the intense amount of pressure, media scrutiny that are, that's placed on players, do you think the care for players now is better than, than it was in your time as a young player? Do you think players are looked oh. after better now? I think the, the, there's, the, the players are looked after are better now. Yeah, of course they are. They, you know, because the amount of education they do, you know, I think the, the biggest thing from back when we started is that, you know, we didn't, uh, I went straight out of school. So effectively, um, the big thing was when you're, you're having no sort of experiences to go into to life after football, I think that's a, that, that was a big thing. That's a big thing for, for players. Is you get told where to be on time. You've just got this structure in place that, you know, and then when it's finished, you don't have that. And that's something that sort of they're getting better with. Um, you know, the Players Association are doing a, a better job. And, you know, the, the Players Association need to get better and better and better because obviously you look at, um, you know, other sports around the world, you know, they're, they're so strong, um, especially the NFL and all the rest of it. Um, I think that's where they need to get to. And the scrutiny is going to, always going to be there because of what the, the dollars is. And this is the worst thing about this country. that Everyone talks about what someone gets paid or whatever. You know, at the end of the day, who cares? It's, it's what that club's willing to pay them. You know, they're, they're nowhere near getting paid the 300, 400,000 quid a week like, like the soccer players or, you know, the NFL or the NBA. Um, but obviously, it's, it's massive in this country and, and it sells newspapers. So it's always, they're always going to, you know, if someone plays up or does the wrong thing, you know, they're going to get hammered. And that's, that's just, that's the parcel of um, professional sport. What, what sort of changes would you like to see happen in the game? Um, I, 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 the, the, the thing, the biggest thing with the contracts is that it's a, it's a two way beast at the moment where if a play, if a coach, if a coach doesn't like a player or the clubs doesn't like the player, they just put them in reserve grade and they try and get him to walk. And then on the other hand, if the players aren't, enjoying the coach or whatever then they just say oh i want out and obviously they've got two years run and all the rest of it i think the biggest thing is all these these things where clubs have to pay other people's contracts and stuff i i, I want to see that abolished because if some club's going to make a mistake and sign a guy and then they want to get rid of him they should have to pay him straight up and that affects their cap going forward you know like um and the other side of that is that if you sign a contract, that, that it needs to be, you know, why even have a contract if, you, if you're not going to adhere to it? So um, I, there's a few things around that I want, I'd like to see them get cleared up. So You said earlier when I was talking to you about Colton days that you, and, and just rising through the ranks, that you just love to win. You know, winning was everything. Penrith in the early 2000s weren't doing a lot of that. There was a, a wooden spoon in there and a lot of criticism of the team, the coach, the players. Mm. Yep. Uh, and I'm sure you yourself on an individual level as well. How did you cope with that? The, the stuff that's happening off the field when you weren't winning on the field as well. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that was a, it was a pretty sort of tough time because I was captaining the team at the time and then I had to do an interview uh, they were sort of, uh, I was sort of just getting put onto me that you know, that we're, you know, we're not winning. Why? What's going on? And and all the rest of it. You know, the, the thing about that is, is that you know, it's a, it's a seventeen man game, and and sometimes when you're just going through these 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 ruts, uh, you just sort of got to stick together and try and grind yourself out of it. And you know, when you start to listen to all this outside sort of crap going on, it, it sort of and it wears you wears you down. So I just tried to sort of 
stick to my guns and just try and train hard and, and, and work your way out. That's the only way you can do it. There's, there's no easy options. Um, and we're, and we're, you, you're saying you, there's plenty of teams that go through it. You know, you look at Brisbane at the moment, they're, they're all over the shop, you know. So um, it can happen to anyone. And even though you've got good players in there, you just lose lose a bit of confidence and all the rest of it. And um, and then it, and it just falls apart. So it's uh, there's there's no easy solution to it, and especially when you and then you know obviously fans don't like it, and you know you know they, we're not going out there to lose. It's just uh, you know sometimes performance isn't isn't up to what what it should be, and effectively that puts you in that place where you're at. It was it was such a quick turnaround though from that from that rut that Penrith was in and the, and the losing times to the ultimate glory in two thousand and three. How it's it's obviously a big big question, but how do you account for that that rapid turnaround? Was that just good? Was it smart buying of players? Was it uh, the team a shift in mentality? Was what was happening? Well, I think it's you know a bit of everything. You know, like we you we we got um, we brought in a couple of players. You know, Preston come in on that that year. We had young guys coming through that had a little bit of an experience, and then it was you know, and and then all of a sudden you start to you get a bit of confidence, you know, we, we lost a couple of games and we won one game, we lost another one and then we, we went on a run. But it, it all comes back to just having that right cohesion with the, with the team, having no injuries, um, you know, everyone enjoying what they're doing. You know, you look at Penrith at the moment, they just love going out there and playing and, and you, you look at the way they are compared to the way Brisbane are and it's, you know, they're completely two different teams. It's a, it's amazing what winning can do for you, and after you start to get that confidence uh, and build on that confidence, it's 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 just like a tra- it just continues on. It's just like a train; it just keeps going and going and going. And and obviously, it's it's a big part of um, what's happening at the moment as well. When you headed into that grand final, having beaten Brisbane, I think it was, and then the Warriors uh, yep. in the preliminary, what was the pressure like going into that that Sunday night? Well, you know. The, 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 there wasn't really any pressure from us. So, you know, everyone was sort of, everyone thought the Roosters were going to win and um, we were pretty relaxed. Everything we were doing was just sort of, we are going through the motions, but we we just had a, there was a, an aura around the team where we just, uh, for, personally for me, it was just that I, I just thought we were going to go out there and win because I, I just had the utmost confidence in the, in the guy next to me and I, in the team about to, what jobs they were going to get out there and do and, and everyone just did it and that's how it was. And, you know, get that wrong. It was an amazing game from, from Lukey Prittis. He, he come up trumps with, you know, with a, three unbelievable plays and, and that's what you need in big games. You need just someone to, to step up and, and, and do the job and, and take those opportunities and that's what he did and that was a big, a big part to why we won that grand final. What you're talking about where you say I had the utmost confidence in the team, you know, I looked, looked around the room and you, could, you go, I know what every one of these guys is going to do out there and, and we're going to play for each other and we're going to win and you just had that complete conviction. How rare is that in first grade football? Or in any football, in your experience, um, yeah, it's rare. In two thousand four, I thought, yeah, we, we could we were doing it doing the same, but we just come up against a better team on, on in the dogs, you know, at, the, at that time. But um, uh, apart from that, I don't think I've ever experienced it like the, the way that feeling was that year. Don't get me wrong, you go out there, you're confident, but yeah, it's uh, just having that that belief and, and that confidence is all in one and. To, on a continual basis was, you know, that was probably the only year I sort of really had that. So, 
And can you describe for us that feeling of when you knew you had the game won, the, the final siren hasn't gone, but you've got the game in the bag. I think it was Luke Rooney scored that last try and you think this is, you know, we've got this. What happens in that moment for you? Do you reflect on your life as a footballer? Is it one of those things like a movie where you go, it all flashes before you or is it just a sheer elation? What can you describe that moment? Yeah, I, I don't think I, I thought that we had it in the bag after that. Like, seriously, it's just um, you're playing against a, a team that can that, that can hurt you. So uh, until that bell goes and you've actually won it, that's and that's the mindset you need to have because if you ha- if you think, oh, yeah, I've got it in the bag, that's when something happens, uh, just whatever reason, and then you're, you're, on, you're on your way down, you know. But after that bell went, it was just the feeling that you've had because you've worked your, your ass off for it, you know, for so long, um, and not many guys get to experience that. And even some of the great players have never won grand finals, you know. Um, Trent Barrett never won a grand final. So it's a bit of relief. It's elation. It's... You know, it's uh, it's hard to describe how, how how good you feel, and just to experience it with those guys that you've, as I said, you've worked your butt off with. It's no big bigger feeling, I don't think, than to, than winning a grand final. Uh, even if you you play Origin and, and things like that, that's a that's an individual thing. But as a team, it, because you know how hard it is to to, to get to that level and, and win that grand final, um, it's just a, a it's an amazing feeling. You mentioned that the team the next year didn't go uh, all the way again, lost, just fell short at the penultimate hurdle. Yep. Um, and then a few lean years followed that and it was a bit of a rough time at Penrith again. I want to ask about sort of, you know, those two, those two sandwich periods where at the early 2000s and then following that premiership success where it was a bit of a, a rough trot for Penrith. Did that impact on your passion for the game at all? Did you find that you were, it was... At any stage, you were not feeling the passion for the game. Um, yeah, for sort of at the end of it, um, I just felt I wasn't playing playing my my best football, and that's sort of what that's why you know at the end of the day I had an opportunity to go and play rugby union, and I just thought that was a good time for me because I just for whatever reason it just that's what that's how I, that's how I was feeling. Um, so those decisions, I've got no regrets, regrets on that decision. So that sort of that prolonged my career doing that. You know, because I, I don't think I would have played for much longer after after a couple more seasons in the NRL. So that that was a, I think that was the best move I, I ever made, and just to just to experience other things as well. That's a, that was a, the best part about that. But um, I think those lean years. Sometimes you just don't evolve as a team, and um, you know we got hit by salary cap after that, and that's that that sort of affects you. And then we didn't have as many young guys coming through in the juniors. There's a, there's a series of things that happen. That you sort of you look back on, and you go, well, this is why. These are the reasons why it's happened. So, um, you know, teams go through that, but other teams like the Roosters and Melbourne, they don't. They seem to go through that at the at that present, and that's where that's where other teams like you know, especially with Penrith now, with the with the with the way that Gus has set up the, the juniors, you know, he's done a fantastic job with the with the pathways and the rest of it. And hopefully they, they don't go through those long years anymore and they can just have, you know, quality kids coming through where, um, you know, when those young kids come through and they want to get paid the big bucks, then obviously then it becomes harder on the salary cap. And I know it's going to be coming hard on the salary cap in the next couple of years because these young kids coming through, they're going to be demanding big, big coin and, and other, other clubs are going to come chasing. So it's a real, it's a real juggle. One more question about that um, 2003 team and that season. 
and it's sort of a philosophical question for you as well. Do you subscribe to fate? Do you think that fate played a role in that team's success that year or was it purely um, out of hard work? You would, you would, yeah, I, I think, I think so. Like, uh, it's sometimes really weird. I, I, I was, there was a psychic that, that we sort of know, and she told me I had to wear blue speedos. I was like, and I said, all right, just to keep myself um, uh, out, out of harm's way. So, so, which I did. And then um, my aunt, one of my aunties went to see a psychic, and um, she she said, I, I can see one of your your family member was holding up a uh, trophy at the end of the year but she never told me that you know she never told me that so sometimes um you know weird things sort of sort of come out you know so were you a superstitious player did you have quirks and things that you did regularly i i I wasn't really no no i wasn't until she said to do that so i thought oh i'll do it you know so um yeah This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Look, I, I think a lot of players talk about individual accolades and, and it's something you look back on at the end of the season. That year, that Dalian was yours, wasn't it? That player of the year. Uh, it's not. It's not yeah, it's a, there's a bit of a discussion going around about it at the moment where I, I might might receive that. Um, so there's, which, which would be uh, really, you know, uh, it would tip everything off. Obviously, that's a, that's a, a big moment in, in someone's year. And, but you don't, you don't get that accolade if you haven't got, you know, 20 other blokes, uh, you know, doing their best around you all year and, you know, effectively those accolades like that uh, because of your team and, and what they've done for for you during the year to, to let you play to your, to your best of your ability. And, um, you know, if I did receive that from from whoever the powers to be, I think, uh, you know, I'd be so proud to have it. How it all come about was Tony Butterfield rang me and said, would you boycott the um, Dally M's? And because obviously I was leading the the race, and I said, I said at the end of the day, if it's if it's going to help the players' association, I'll do it. You know, and um, so I thought I was doing the right thing, and I, I thought it, I thought it did the right thing. So we 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 thought that we got a bit of traction out of that as a, as a as a players' association. So that's sometimes just the way life sort of goes for you. Just looking back on your career as a dual international, uh, a long and, and successful career, what things did you learn about yourself as a man through through your career in football? Um, I think it's just being resilient, being resilient. You know, sticking to uh, to your guns, being able to come over, uh, get over adversity. Um, you know, just learning on the way. You, you, know, you continually learn. I, I'm still, still, still learn today. You know, like it's, and it's not, it's nothing. It's, uh, I don't think that's a, a bad thing. I think it's a good thing that you, you try and try and get better as now as a father, as you know, or or whatever it is. But um, I, I just know that I can get over some hard, hard things. You know, obviously after 
Um, I retired, you know, on a personal level, you know, I lost my father, I lost my, my brother to suicide, you know, there's, there's been some, some sort of big things that have, that have happened that sort of can do, derail you and, and, um, you know, having things like that happen, it's, you know, it, it's sort of, it, it's hard and it gets close sometimes, but you just got to stick to your guns and just think what, um, you know, what you're here to do. And obviously you've got a family and all the rest of it and you just got to, you know, stick 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 solid to yourself and, and and try and get better. And at the moment, what what does life look like for Craig Gower in terms of career? And and obviously, you've mentioned your family. What are you doing now? Uh, I've got a concrete company uh, pumping business. So I've just been I've just been doing that for the last three years. So uh, I'm sort of looking looking now to sort of get into a bit of assistant coaching roles. So I'm just sort of sort of get me feelers out there at the moment, trying to see what's see what's available. Um, I feel like I've I've got a good understanding of the game that that, that I can that I can actually pass on. Um, I didn't I did a year of coaching down at um, down at Northern Beaches for the, with the Seagulls and, and I really enjoyed that. Um, so I, I just uh, I just didn't want to get into coaching straight away, um, just because the fact that I just wanted to get away from it and um, but I, I think that the desire to come back and and start to sort of try and you know give my knowledge to, to younger guys and make them make them better and I think I've got a good, good understanding of how, how to do that so um, I'll just uh, see what opportunities sort of come up in the in the near future. Do you find that your passion for the game has has changed a little bit towards that now wanting to give advice to younger guys? I think it's changed now because the game has changed. I think in the way it's getting played. I was just the structure and all that sort of crap that that was going on, where everyone was doing the same stuff. It just really it was boring. And um, I think what um, uh, Valandis has done with the game, with the rule changes, it started to open the game up a bit more and it started making it a bit more creativity um, with players who can play with a bit of skill instead of just going, "Oh, this is your line. You need to run. Get on that line and and run it." So. I think that's a, a, I think that's been the, the major factor why the passion sort of come back because I, I just I couldn't really watch the game before because it was just so boring to me. So um, that I think that's been a major factor. If you're to take on a role assistant coaching, what do you think is the most important thing to impart to a young guy who's coming through the ranks today? I think it's mainly just the communication. You know, the, the guys these days are a little bit different to when I sort of come through. Um, it's just the way the game game has evolved. So it's just, I think it's the big thing is the communication uh, between between coach and, and player. And then it's more about, they've got a good understanding of, of how to play. It's just critiquing and, and trying to work on small small things. Um, I, I, I can't say being major, major things that's wrong in their games but it's just trying to get them to understand and, and see the game a couple of plays ahead because a lot of guys can't do that. And if they can do that and understand sort of why teams are doing whatever they're doing, they can sort of manoeuvre and get themselves in, in better positions to, to understand and, and nullify whatever they're doing or, or be better in attack or all the rest of it. So um, I think it's having that personal relationship where they can sort of lean on you and, and and come to you for advice, you know, on and off the field. And I think that's a big thing with Wayne Bennett. Uh, you know, having the experience with Wayne, that's the best thing about Wayne. Wayne Wayne knows his players, and they know that they can go to him. But he's also 
he's tough on him. He's tough on him as well because he he want he expects a lot from him, and um, and that's why he, he keeps delivering with um, with you know players players wanting to play for play for him, and you know hopefully if, if I get the opportunity, that's what I want to try and try and instill. And finally, the best player you played with or against? Uh, the best player I played, Gerd's Gerd's for me. Well, don't get me wrong, I played with some great players and. You know, but just because of, you know how close I am mean, with with Ryan and uh, just his ability to be able to you know stand a bloke up and you know they they say that Gids was the first bloke to do the flick pass, but it was, it was actually Gerds, mate. You know, and he always put put runes away. And he he wasn't the biggest bloke, he wasn't the quickest bloke, but he you know he certainly had a, an effect on the on, on a footy field. And um, you know he played at the highest levels and great goal kicking and the rest of it. So yeah. Craig, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you on the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. No, no worries, Matty. Any time, mate. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by the Western Weekender.